touch him. Amen. And the Lord keep his hands on everybody that's traveling today. Amen. Anybody have a need in your life you need the Lord to work in? Amen. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, Father, we love you today. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We pray, God, you touch us, help us. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, this week I probably have woke up at 5 and 5.30 in the morning and felt compelled to write more than I have maybe in over a year. Monday morning, Tuesday morning, I think five mornings, I woke up early and I felt like the Lord was saying, don't you go back to sleep. And so I got up and uh, whatever the Lord had put on my heart, I wrote about it. And normally when I write it, it's inspirational, it's encouraging. But every time this week it was a, more of a doctrinal uh, feeling and flow that I felt. And uh, yesterday when I was meditating on what I would teach, I don't normally teach on Sunday mornings. Usually it's uh, uh, Brother Ryan or Brother BJ. But I knew that I was because we have Brother uh, Hudson here. Brother Ryan's not been teaching, so Brother BJ's on, on deck every Sunday. And so I felt like maybe the reason why the Lord woke me up five night days in a row was he wanted me to teach some of that. And so today my lesson is what I believe that is different from other churches. What I believe that is different to other churches and why is it different? Every church claims that they believe in the Bible, and I believe them, they believe in the Bible. And even though we have one Bible, there are thousands of denominations. So the question has been made, if there's only one Bible, why are there so many churches? And the reason why there are so many churches is people believe in the Bible and something else. And it is the something else they believe in, in addition to the Bible, is why there's so much division and controversy in Christianity. Uh, I, I call it list Z. The other books. The, the Z list. And the reason why I call it the Z list is I believe that though they may have some value, they are at the bottom of the list of things I consider when I am deciding what I will put my faith in. My faith is in the Word of God. It's not in the Bible and these other books. And so, for example, I, I was at, a, my kids were still very young. They were in a private school, and there was a great controversy at the school. And uh, this school was sponsored by a particular denominational church, and so most of the people in the school, the parents of the school, they were of this particular brand of Christianity. And I'm telling you, when I say those parents were mad, they were, they were mad. So there's a parents meeting. They're going to discuss some speaker that, that the headmaster had invited to speak at the school. And they were so angry. And so I'm just there. I'm like, and I asked the question, 
so can y'all tell me what the controversy is? And they say, well, this speaker doesn't confirm that he believes in every line in the Westminster Confession. I was like, what? They said, he doesn't, he doesn't believe everything that's in the Westminster Confession. I was like, I like, have you read the Westminster Confession? And they were like, what? I said, I don't believe in the Westminster Confession. I said, because there's stuff in the Westminster Confession that is exactly the opposite from what the Bible says. And they're kind of looking at me. I'm like, so I'm kind of glad there's somebody speaking that doesn't believe in the Westminster Confession. Now, I didn't get invited to any more parents' med- meetings. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was a, that's kind of a startling moment. People that are Christians can get so emotionally attached to things that are not in the Bible, but they are their tradition. They are a part of what they believe. So they believe in the Bible and they believe in that. Uh, I was in a conversation just the other day, and it's another denomination, and uh, we were talking about baptism. And this was actually a little private conversation to the side. There was two men talking of the same denomination, and I was standing there, kind of a part of the conversation, but mostly listening to their discussion. And one of them said, well, you know, if someone wants to be immersed in baptism, which is the biblical pattern, they can. And the man said, no, no, if they baptize someone by immersion, they are breaking the, the, the book of discipline, and they can, be, uh, they can be disciplined by the organization if they immerse someone in baptism. And I'm like, again, dear goodness. So, so, so you have the Westminster Confession. There's the Book of Discipline. Uh, there's a Common Service Book. These are different denominations. There's the Book of Mormon. Uh, there is one, a book called The Desire of the Ages. And each one of these are compiled by people that, that others have chosen to follow their lead and believe what they say about the Bible in addition to the Bible. I was driving down the road a few years ago. I was looking to buy, I think a, I think it was Noah, I was looking to, to buy a vehicle for him to drive. He's reaching the age of, uh, of, of uh, driving. And so I was on the marketplace. I found a young man, and he had a nice little uh, vehicle that, that would be good for Noah. And so we're test driving. He is a senior at one of the local seminaries. And he sa- says, you know, I, I don't really know much about Pentecostalism. He said, uh, what's different from what you believe and what we believe? And I said to him, I said, there are many obvious things, but the reason why we believe those obvious things different is, is essentially rooted in the fact that the Bible is our only source for doctrine. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, we don't we don't." believe that other people's writings have any weight in determining doctrine. The Bible alone is the source of our doctrine. He said, okay. I said, like, you know, you believe that historical Christianity should play a voice in what you believe in addition to the scripture. He said, oh, he said, you know what, just the other day I was complaining and and talking to my, my, my classmates. Why can't we just read the Bible? All we do is read, and he names off two or three reformers, and like, you know, why can't we just spend our time reading the Bible instead of reading all of these other books? 
So one of the fallacies of historical Christianity is everyone has their particular part of historical Christianity they like. Because there's a lot of skeletons in historical Christianity. If you do a little search on Catholicism, uh, most of the popes that weren't supposed to be married had children. <laughs> yes, there's all kinds of unspeakable things that have happened through the popes. And so when a pope, modern pope, if he writes a book, Catholics are taught that what the Pope says is equal to if Jesus was speaking to it today because he is the vicar of Christ. And so his words, his writings are inspired. Well, I don't believe that, right? I would say most Catholics don't believe that even though that's what they're taught to believe. Now, I do want to qualify and say I'm not here in any way to bash other beliefs, but I do believe we should have give a reason for why we believe what we believe and the reason why I am different and our church is distinctly different from other churches is because we believe the only source for doctrine is the scripture. Everybody believes in the Bible but they believe in something in addition to the Bible. The scripture states that the church is built upon the foundation of of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. What does that mean, apostles and prophets? Well, the prophets is the Old Testament. The apostles is the New Testament. And Jesus Christ is the center that brings the apostles and the prophets together. And it is upon the foundation stones of the writings of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the center of it all, that the church must be built. And so it is our intent that we would firmly build every doctrine, every practice, every principle that we teach and contend for based on the Scripture. Why is that important? First reason why that's important is that culture changes. We're in the middle of a cultural revolution. And if your faith is built upon another book, a denominational doctrinal book. A committee can get together and they can vote. We're changing our doctrine. Right now, the United Methodist Church in America is splitting. Congregation here in Raymond voted 97% to disaffiliate from the United Methodist. And my hat is off to them. Why? Because the United Methodist is wanting to change their book of discipline to include uh, homosexual and transgender persons to be ordained in the ministry. That's, the, that's their church. So when they change their book of discipline, for you to stay connected to that church, either implicitly or explicitly, you are condoning and supporting this new doctrine. Right, you, you see this throughout the, the formation of historical Christianity. In the beginning, Jesus taught the disciples and taught them for three years, essentially day and night. They walked together, they, they slept in the same place, they ate together, they rode in a boat together, they walked through the field together, they were on the mountain together, they went to the temple together. And for three and a half years, these hand-chosen 
disciples. Jesus not only taught them what he taught everyone, but Jesus taught them things he didn't teach anyone else. And he put in their hands to establish the church. And so I contend, one of the reasons why I believe differently than other churches is I believe the only pattern that I should follow as, as being a teacher, preacher, and as a church, we should listen to and follow what the apostles say above any other historical person. Whether they come 100 years after the apostles or 2,023 years later after the apostles. Because if you put your faith in man, modern man, modern writings, there, there's change. You see, one of the first, I believe it is the first major church council outside of the Bible. It happens 325, 325 A.D. And it was the Council of Nicaea. And at the Council of Nicaea, there was a controversy uh, on the Godhead. One of the controversies was that the Godhead, Jesus, yeah, I, once I put them up there, thank you. Uh, one, uh, Athen, who was it? Arius? Athanasius? Arius and Athanasius. So Arius contended that Jesus was uh, simply a man that was specially endowed. He was, uh, I believe that's right. And then Athanasius, what is known as the Athanasius Creed later, uh, was essentially in, in contentious with that. And for, I believe, 33 days, when everybody showed up, almost everyone agreed with Arius. And when they left, almost everyone disagreed with Arius. And so it was weeks of, of uh, controversy. And what came out of that came out as known as the Nicene Creed. And it makes a proclamation about the nature of the Godhead. Now, that did not answer the question. They ended up having to come back again at the Council of Chalcedon. And a lot of what people believe about the Godhead today don't know that what is said about the Trinity today isn't the same thing that they said about the Trinity at, at Chalcedon, and it's not the same thing they said about the Trinity at, at, uh, at Nicaea, and they don't know that most of Christianity did not believe in the Trinity until 325 A.D. And at 325 A.D., a council made a creed that was different than what Christianity preached and taught and practiced for its first 300 years. For, for the first 300 years, people were baptized exactly like the apostles baptized. But it was at the Council of Nicaea that they changed the baptism and they forced everyone to proclaim they believed exactly what was stated in the Nicene Creed even though that departed from what the apostles wrote about the Godhead in the Scripture, right? And so that my point is, when you are when you uh, 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 commit yourself to things outside of Scripture, there is never there is a temptation and a tendency to constantly devolve 
How much does it change? I, I, I had a conversation. This happened uh, two or three months ago. We were reading in Acts 8. Acts 8, the Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria and he preached to the Samaritans and the Samaritans um, the Samaritans received what Philip had to say. They believed on the kingdom according to Philip. They, they uh, were healed. They had great joy. He cast out devils. And they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had not received the Holy Ghost yet. Now most believers... Today, they are taught that when you believe in Jesus, you automatically receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you have faith, you have the Spirit. But if one reads the Scripture, the Scripture does not teach that. The Scripture teaches that faith and believing in Jesus is a separate experience from faith. We see it in Acts 8, and we see it in Acts 10, we see it in Acts 19, and you see it throughout the Scripture Faith is absolutely a necessity. The scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God. For any man coming to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so faith opens the door of possibilities of the kingdom for us, but faith in and of itself is not all of the kingdom. Faith is the door, but the door is not the kingdom. You walk into the church... That door is how you get in the building, but the door is not the building. Faith is what brings us into the possibilities of the kingdom. Can you get in the, can you get in the building without a door? No. But the door is not the building. Faith is the door, but faith is not the kingdom. Faith brings us into a world of possibilities, and one of those possibilities is faith. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so faith brings us into a pathway where the Lord leads us and guides us into all truth. And so I, the, the point I want to say here at the wrap-up of this particular point is historical Christianity leads us to faulty conclusions and would cause us to think many things that are contrary to what the apostles and the prophets and Jesus taught. One of those things is there is a doctrine called faith alone. Many sincere people have been taught that all you have to do is believe in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you, ha you are saved. Faith alone. But Jesus never taught that. If you read the teaching of Jesus, Jesus teaches that you must believe and do something else. Jesus in his uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he goes through a list of things that we should do as believers. Somebody uh, takes you to court, you're supposed to do the ridiculous. They ask to sue you for your coat, you give them your, your cloak. If someone asks you to go a mile, you go the second mile. Uh, Jesus says to uh, bless those that curse you, to pray for those that do you wrong, to forgive those, to forgive those. He goes through all of these things and at the conclusion of his teaching he says, 
Many shall come to me in that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? And Jesus will say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. But the confusion is, I was sitting in a room full of uh, a particular denomination of pastors and they were talking about this text. And one of the pastors said, you know, that really disturbs me. People can say, Lord, Lord, and they could go to hell. Because his doctrinal view of the world is that all you have to do is believe. And here Jesus is saying, these people are calling Jesus Lord. And Jesus says, who are you? How's that possible? In his doctrine, it's not possible. Jesus goes further to say, I will tell you what is like a man that hears my word and obeys my word is a wise man. In his house will survive the storms. But a person that only hears my word and doesn't do it will be destroyed by the storms. And so my point is, there are many things people believe that is not in Scripture, but they refuse to believe differently because that's what they've always been taught. I saw an interview the other day with Tucker Carlson. Some of you may have heard of him. And uh, he, he says of himself, he said, I, I am an, I'm an Episcopalian. I was raised and baptized as an Episcopalian. And he said, I recently have had the time to read the Bible, and I've been trying to read the Bible. And he said, I'm reading the Bible, and I asked my wife, why is it I've been a Christian all my life, and I have never heard anything about all this stuff I'm reading in the Bible? You know, the bottom line, it's hard, to it's hard to preach everything in the Bible at one time. Though sometimes we may try. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff in there. And if you, uh, it, 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 there are things that, that the only way you're going to know it and understand it and, and apprehend it is you have to read it for yourself. You have to understand the Word of God is the most important text in all of human history. It's the number one selling book every year. I did a calculation from the time of the printing press. I went through and added up all the different books, uh, all the different numbers of publications, and it is my estimation that since the, the, the creation of the Gutenberg Press, that there have been over 10 billion copies of the Bible printed since that day. That's a lot of books. And it is the most important book. In uh, John chapter, let's see what scripture I'm looking for here. John chapter 7, I believe. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Here, here's, the, here's the text. He that believeth on me as the, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Notice it doesn't say as Pastor Philip said, or John Calvin, or the Pope, or John Wesley, or Joseph Smith, or Charles Taze Russell, or Ellen White. There's all these different individuals that have 
have millions of people today that believe in their version of Christianity and they may wonder why they don't experience the promise of the scripture and the reason why is what they believe is not scripture they believe what someone said about the scripture and I believe if there was ever a day that we as believers would have a deep conviction and understanding of what we believe and why we believe it. I don't just believe it because somebody told me that. I have read it for myself and I know in fact that it is true. Amen. So so there are things that we do today that is very unique to us but it's not unique because it's Pentecostal. It is unique because we're the only ones that teach it and preach it. There are many things that used to be common in Christianity, but Christianity has changed. But the Bible has not. And we still contend and teach those things, and those things lived out today look to be alien. But if they open their Bible, they might find it's in everybody's Bible. I heard someone, I can't tell you how many times I've been teaching the scripture to people. But one time stands out to me just so stark. There were uh, a couple of people that I met at Amazio's Pizza. And someone that I was with was telling these people about uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they introduced them to me and they said, well, we're interested in knowing more about it. So we started doing a Tuesday night Bible study at our church. And it's just a further uh, down the road here. And uh, we, were, we were reading through the book of Acts. And one, one of the ladies said, she said, I, I'm just so mad. She said, I have, and she, I'm 50 years old. I've went to church every Sunday. And I have had never had anybody tell me what I'm reading in the Bible right now. And I think the challenge is, the scripture says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. What does that mean? Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Straight is the gate. The Bible says broad is the way, broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction, but straight is the gate. Few there be that find it. What does that mean? The only ones that will find that narrow way and uh, traverse through the straight gate are those that are looking. Everybody say looking. It is incumbent upon us to check our spiritual appetite. And it's okay to pray, Lord, help me to be hungrier. Can we pray that right now? Lord Jesus, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness that I might be filled. I want to study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Amen. So the scripture says Jesus weren't warned of false teachers. 
false prophets. I've got a scripture here. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. This is Peter writing. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. By reason of him, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. False prophets, false teachers. I remember being in conversations with a number of the people at the United Methodist, and I love them here in Raymond. They're wonderful people. I love them dearly and pray for them daily. And they were discussing the decision of whether they would disaffiliate from the United Methodist. And, and uh, one of the men I've known a number of years, he said, you know, the thing that really bothers me more than the fact that they are wanting to ordain homosexuals and transgenders, he said, it is the fact that wrapped up in all of this, they don't even believe that Jesus is God. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise. Because once you begin to erode things, they all erode. It all breaks down. And I think that it's important for us to understand there are false prophets and false teachers. The, the message translation puts it this way. Brother BJ's favorite Bible translation right here. Notice he's shaking his head no. But I love how it, it says this. But there were also lying prophets among the people then, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you. They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They've put themselves on a fast downhill slide of, to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed-up followers who cannot tell right from wrong. They give the way of truth a bad name. They're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, do anything that sounds good to exploit you. They won't, of course, get by with it, They'll come to a bad end, for God has never just stood by and let that kind of thing go. False teachers. What is a false teacher? Somebody want to guess what a false teacher is? It's real deep. Yes? Wow. That's someone that teaches you something that's false. So... So what does that look like, Brother BJ? What does false teaching sound like? What? Oh, no, no, that's not what I was aiming at. Right? Every man a liar, yes. Scripture is always right. Scripture is always right. Say that with me. Scripture is always right. So, so, so why does God let this happen? Why did God allow false prophets in the Old Testament and false teachers today? It, I, I, the answer is it is a test. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If there 
arise, this is Old Testament, rise you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and give it thee a sign or a wonder. And the sign or wonder come to pass wherever he spake unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast known and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of the dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So in the Old Testament, it was a test. Do you really love Jehovah? Because the false prophet would come and do a miracle. And if you followed them to other gods, you failed the test of loving the Lord God only. And you see that same spirit in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 11 through 12. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You need to love the truth. First uh, Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may f be made manifest among you. So do you love the truth enough to be challenged for what you believe? Do you love the truth enough to buy it if it costs you the approval of friends and family? Do you love the truth enough to be persecuted and rejected because of the truth that you believe? If not, you might not be able to pass the test. I pray, I pray that I would love the truth. I don't want to believe a lie. I want to believe the truth. And so I am close, uh, fastly coming to a conclusion. Uh, I've got more than I can say here today. I'm finding something good to wrap up with. Yes. So, here's one of the greatest difficulties in Scripture, and I find it to be true, is sometimes people believe what the Bible says in one verse, but they don't believe it in the other verse. And so, so oftentimes, people are taught to believe a particular Scripture but the error is that it is isolated from the rest of Scripture and someone comes to a false conclusion. Some people believe in John 3.16. Anybody want to quote it for me? Out loud. How many of you believe that's true? Okay, it's true. Absolutely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is 100% true. John 3, 5, same chapter, same Jesus, same person he's talking to. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So it's not a decision, do you believe John 3, 5 or John 3, 16? We believe them both. You need to believe and you need to be 
born again of the water and the Spirit. Just to go further, Luke 13.5 says, Jesus talking, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So is this verse true or is John 3.16 true or are they both true? So you need to be born again, you need to believe, and you need to repent. John, uh, Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So here Jesus says you need to believe, you need to be born again of the water and the Spirit, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, right? Uh, Matthew 10 and 22, but he, this is Jesus, but he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. So here Jesus says, you need to believe, you need to be born again of the water and the Spirit, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, and you need to endure to the end to be saved. Acts 2.22, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is Acts 2.21 true? Yes. But you don't just call on the name of the Lord, you need to believe on the Lord. Right? You need to repent. You need to be born again of the water and the Spirit. Right? Uh, what else? Uh, huh? You need to be baptized. Uh, uh, Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many believe Romans 10 and 13 is true? It's true. 100% true. And the, the challenge and one of the greatest sources of misunderstanding and controversy in Christianity is there are scriptures that are blown up to be the mountaintop pinnacle of revelation. And John 3.16, it is true, but everything else is wrong because it says you need to believe. Yes. And you need to be born again of the water and spirit. And you need to repent. <laughs> and you need to be baptized. And you need to call on the name of the Lord. Right? And so the point is, it is not that we're saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. By faith in everything. When you call on the name of the Lord, you call out in faith. When you repent, you call you, you, you repent in faith. When you get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do it in faith. Amen? And so, so I think that is one of the challenges is, first of all, people are taught to believe things that aren't in Scripture. And if you get someone that really knows what they believe, when they read the Scripture, they will say, but... It's John Calvin said, John Wesley said, the Institute said, the Creed says. And what I'm saying is let, let God be true and every man a liar. Is there some value in historical Christianity? Yes. Did Martin Luther write some things that are interesting? Yes. Did, uh, it, it's not to disavow any good that can be gleaned from all of these other people, but they are other people. What they wrote and said and taught is not in any level equal to or even in the universe of, of authority of what the scripture says. Brother BJ, you had. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think I'll wrap it up with this. In that, that Bible study, we were reading Acts, Acts 8. After he, uh, Philip goes down to Samaria. He also is caught away and he's running beside a chariot of an Ethiopian who's reading the book of Isaiah. And he comes up in the chariot with the Ethiopian and he's reading. 
And after Philip gets through preaching to him Christ from the book of Isaiah, the Ethiopian says, here is water, what doth hinder me? And the Bible says that Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and were baptized. Someone says, he said, well, my commentary says that just because they went down in the water doesn't mean he was immersed. He could have been sprinkled. (laughs) And I said, oh, my goodness. Here is the reason why I cannot stand study Bibles is because people read the notes and they equalize and sometimes magnify what the commentary says above what the scripture says. And so there was a little bit of there's a little bit of controversy there. And y'all have to know my relationship. I've been with these men for four years. They know my heart and I can be a provocative individual and they know I have no animus and I love them very much. And I said to them, I said, well that's why we have in Christianity what we have today is people are taking the words of other people that are saying what the Bible says doesn't really mean what it says. And so uh, I said, that's why Christianity is in the situation it's in. And one of the pastors over here said, said, so are you saying, because it was a John Wesley study Bible, he said, are you saying that John Wesley is wrong? And it's a little heated. I said, well, I'm saying anybody, John Wesley, John Calvin, Scott Phillips, Clint Ware, anyone that says what the Bible says doesn't mean what it says is wrong. I said, that's why you've got people or, ordaining homosexuals. is because people have put their opinion above what the scripture says. And that, that's when the fight started. <laughs> Amen. My point is in not any way to, to make anybody think that I'm better than anyone. None of us will be saved but by the grace of God. God has been so long-suffering and kind. I, I have made more mistakes than I am. I, I was, I was, I deserve to make. If I am saved, it would be by the grace of God. But in my pursuit of salvation, of saving myself from this crooked and perverse generation, I, I want to be sure I inform myself and everyone else: the Scripture is the only authority for doctrine. And if that means that, that, that you are a minority among the group, it could be that the Lord would use you to understand that the power of God is wrapped up in when we believe the word and live in accordance to the word, we unlock the treasure house of God's power and possibilities where these signs will follow them that believe. Amen. I believe in Jesus as the scripture says. Somebody said amen. Amen. Father, thank you today for this day, each one that is here today, each one that may see this. Lord, I pray that they would receive it in the spirit that it was intended. Lord God, it, my, my, my desire is not to be critical or judgmental, but to, to provoke to good works, to provoke to study, that we all would pray. Again, Lord, open my eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Give me a heart that loves your word. Let me pass the test when false teachers and false prophets come. Let me cling to the word and recognize and discern when false doctrines and spirits of the Antichrist come and try to draw us away. Let us be true to you until you come. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen.